Thanks, Ben. Uh, as I sort out the furniture up here, why don't you tell the person sitting next to you if you know someone famous? Now, tell the person next to you if you know someone famous. If you don't know anyone famous, why not tell them the famous person you would most like to meet? Just tell the person next to you that. I'm going to just do a bit of furniture sorting up here for a moment. Okay. I suppose I, I know, I suppose, one famous person, some of you will know, um, that I played a, a bit of rugby with a guy called Martin Johnson, who went on to Captain England and the uh, British Lions. Uh, I saw him a, a, a few months ago. You know, we exchanged uh, numbers. He actually, to prove that Chessington is the center of the known universe, Martin Johnson comes to the Barwell Estate to get his specialized mountain bike. I said he could drop in for a brew if he wanted when he was down. Haven't had that call yet. Maybe I don't know him quite as well as I thought I did. I wonder if you know anyone famous or you've met anyone famous. Uh, the Australian billionaire Kerry Packer was once playing polo. You know, ponies, sticks, balls at Windsor Great Park, chatting to his friend the Queen. He's quite a famous guy. And uh, at the end of the day, they wanted some food. So he went with his polo team into a, a village in Berkshire about nine o'clock. Couldn't, couldn't find anywhere open, so he knocked on the door of a small restaurant and asked them would they open up again to, to feed him and the team. They said no, they were shut, that was it. He said he'd give them a generous tip, they said no, they were shut, that was it. So he went to the pub next door and the publican said well the kitchen was shut but he, he could, he'd do a bit of research and rang around. He got a cook to come in and they cooked Packer's team a, a, a meal and at the end the meal came to about 200 quid, this is a few years ago, <laughs> came to about 200 quid. And uh, Kerry Packer uh, wrote uh, a cheque to pay for the meal with a tip for £10,200. And he said he could have the cheque as long as he went and told the restaurant next door how much the tip was. <laughs> well, the claim of the Bible is we make a far bigger mistake if we turn away the opportunity of meeting Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came so that we can know God. In fact, not know about God, not know facts to do with God, but know God personally, relationally. And John's gospel is written so that we can have that relationship. John tells us why he writes his book. At the end in John 20, verse 31, he says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's God's King, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But before he starts his gospel, he has a, a trailer just like at a cinema, it outlines the main characters who are coming in the book. It, it tells you a bit about the amazing storyline. I guess there are two types of people when it comes to trailers. Uh, the, the movies, people who are, love them, they think this is the best part. Sadly, that can be the case. Or those who arrive after they've finished. I'm, I'm a trailer lover. But, but you can't afford to miss the trailer for John's Gospel. Because what, what, what it does is reveal to us the enormity of what this book's about. And often when Jewish people, like John, uh, wrote books or, or passages, they put the main point in the middle. 
not, not the beginning or the end. Uh, it's like a sandwich. Uh, there's some, some information on the outside, but the real heart of the message is in the middle. It's the same with our, our passage this morning. Uh, the heart of what we're going to see comes in verse 12. Look down at verse 12 with me in the Bible. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we're going to see today how you can become a child of God. But, but first, let's look at the outer layer. Here's the first thing. God has come. God has come. One, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John starts with this mysterious character, the Word. But if, if you know a bit of the Bible, you might be thinking, this sounds familiar. Doesn't the Bible start like this in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God creates, how does he do it? He speaks his Word, and things come into being. In fact, all the way through the Old Testament, the way that God does business with his people is through his Word. Uh, the Ten Commandments, God's rules for his people, are actually called in the Bible the Ten Words. When God wants to rescue his people, he speaks a word of promise to them. All the way through the Bible, God deals with people by his word. So as John comes to talk now about the, the most amazing, the most wonderful way God is going to deal with his people, well, the word is exactly the right thing to call him. Now, what do we learn about the word? Well, he is God, verse 1 tells us, but he is also with God. He, he hangs out with God the Father, but, but, but he is also God himself. He was there in the beginning, before anything was made, before time even existed. The word always has been and always will be. It's just a, a little bit of a hint, a, a picture of God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that's who God is revealed as in the Bible, the God who is one God in three persons, for all eternity in a relationship of perfect love within God. Which is why it's so wonderful, if you don't know this, to be created in the image of God, because the heart of being a human being is relationships of love, first and foremost, with the God who made us. And all things were made through him. Did you see that in verse 3? Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It literally, it says, not a thing has been made. Not one thing. Now, those are the, the basic claims people would make about God, wouldn't they? And John applies them to the Word. And therefore, verse 4 should be no surprise to us. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Without this Word, there is no life. See, the Word who we know is Jesus gives life to the world. He sustains the world. You're only here this morning, you're only alive and breathing because Jesus wants you to. That's how much you depend upon the Word. And John says that this life is the light of all mankind. He's the light to people because we can only actually see God through Him. We can only make sense of a relationship with God in our world because of him. You see, the word doesn't just give life, he makes sense of life. And that's, that's an open offer to anyone of all mankind. Anyone can know God through this word. And we need to make sense of life, don't we? Because look at verse 5. The light shines in darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. See, in general, the world is in darkness. In fact, the world is darkness. People don't have a clue about God. Most people, I guess, in the world think that basically the world's a good place and it's gone a bit wrong, but we can work it out. We can sort it out ourselves. We just need to think straight. Can I ask you this morning if you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that um, if we genuinely recycle rather than just burn stuff in Indonesia, we'll, we'll sort the world out? Or if we really do get a Brexit deal that works, you know, after November is going to be a much better month for it? Did you really believe that we can make the world work? Because human history seems to suggest otherwise. And, and here's my problem. It's not just that we can't make the world work. I can't make me work. I can't be the sort of person I really want to be day in, day out. I can't be the, the father I want to be or, or the husband I want to be. No, my life is one where there's so much darkness. But, but you see this word from God, verse 5 again, the darkness has not overcome it or overcome him. He's unstoppable. When he came to the world, he lived a perfect life, even though the world rejected him. He wasn't overcome by, by the world around him. But this is the word who is Jesus. Now, now I wonder what your, your picture of Jesus is. I, we, we can actually never have a big enough view of Jesus. There's a danger sometimes we think of him just as a, as a man with, with superpowers, you know, someone who can help us out in our, our time of need, uh, bring forgiveness, sort out our lives a bit. Sort of a bit like a, a Marvel superhero, but more in flowing white robes and less clingy, span, you know, latex. Jesus, the superman. But, but his CV is rather more impressive, isn't it, than, than Iron Man or, or Superman. He is the one by whom and through whom God made everything before time began. He is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. In the Chronicles of Narnia by, by C.S. Lewis, Lewis writes about how Lucy goes, goes back to Narnia. And when she goes back, she, she believes that Aslan the lion, the one who represents the Lord Jesus, Aslan has got bigger somehow. This is the conversation that they have. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not, not because you are, she asked. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Have, have you become too content with your small view of Jesus? You see, we, we need to not lose sight of how awesome the Lord Jesus Christ is. As, as we grow up, as we, we get older, as we know him better, he should get bigger and bigger and bigger for us. He, he, he's not just a man who wandered around the world. He was the being through whom the world was made. He's not just someone who can help us out in life. He is the one who holds our life together. He, he's not just someone who can shed a bit of light on how we should live day by day. He's the only one who gives the light that makes sense of our world. Look, look at the other layer, outer layer of our, our sandwich. It, it gives us Jesus' job description, the last few verses of our passage. Look at verse 16 with me. John says, Out of his fullness, 
we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, we see that God is the God of undeserved love. His, his grace, that's what grace means, God's undeserved love towards us. His character is revealed as Moses receives his law and we see how good God is and how he cares about his people and how he wants the best for them. But Jesus does far more than that. He, he gives grace upon grace. He shows us the extraordinary extent of God's love, the full extent of God's love. Look how John puts it in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who himself is God and is the, in the closest relationship with the Father. That's just a bit of a bland translation, really. It says he comes from the Father's breast, from the Father's bosom, from the Father's heart. Now that's where he has come from. That one has made God known. You see, if someone says to you they've seen a vision of God, they're sadly mistaken. We can't see God. However hard we search up in the sky, you won't find God by looking into the starry night. You'll see the work of his hands. But he so wants a relationship with you. He, he is the God of such love for you that he sent his word. He, he came that you might know him. And that word is not a set of propositions, it's a person. That, that's who John's book introduces us to. Not a belief system, but a person. Not a lifestyle option, but a person. Not a technique to be fulfilled, but a person. A person who's been seen and touched and heard. You see, God has come, and here's the second thing, God has come and it was witnessed by people. You see, John, our writer, introduces us to the, the first witness. Uh, confusingly, he's another guy called John, John the Baptist. Look at verse 7 with me. There was a man, let's start at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness testifying concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only to witness to the light. Even before Jesus started his ministry, John, the writer, says, do you remember there was John the Baptist? He, he pointed people, he, he witnessed to Jesus and said, this is the one God has sent. Look how he says it in verse 15, back to the other layer of the sandwich. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. In other words, says John the Baptist, he's always existed. He's far greater than me. He is the eternal God. I was at a family wedding a couple of years ago. Weddings seem to be on the mind at the moment. I got to speaking to Will the solicitor, young lad, pretty bright, I guess. He was going to be an in-house solicitor for Warner EMI, you know, the, the music and film company. And he certainly was a lot cooler than me, which um, you might say is not hard. Anyway, he didn't believe that Jesus existed. So I said to him, had he read an account of Jesus' life? He said, no, no, I haven't. I said, well, you're a solicitor. Isn't that like turning up at court for a legal case and making a decision having not looked at any of the evidence? He said, well, the evidence for the life of Jesus in, in the Gospels was unreliable. To which I said, how did he know that if he's never read it? You see, the Gospels are eyewitnesses' accounts of people who saw God on earth, who touched God on earth. 
John, the gospel writer, actually lent up against Jesus at a meal. You'll never know what Jesus is like unless you read the gospel accounts. If, if you're here and you're not yet someone who follows Jesus Christ, the best thing you can do is to read one of the accounts of his life. We've, we've got some. You could pick one up on the way out and take a copy of, of John's gospel. They're just in a, in a rack there. We'd love just you to take one and read it to, to see that the Son of God was witnessed by people. John, John the Apostle reminds his readers that John the Baptist was around telling people, look, God has, has come, he's turned up, he, he's living amongst us. See, God has come, witnessed by people, living with us. That's what John says next, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Or, or he puts it even more fully in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 is a bombshell. You see, up until then, we've been talking about this big eternal word, haven't we? We've been talking about God and creator, and we can all go, that's fantastic, that's so enormous, we can't get our mind around it. But then in verse 14, the word becomes flesh. This is the, the huge news of Jesus' birth. God becomes a man and hangs out with us. Or one of my children, when they were much younger, described Jesus as God with a beard on. Well, it's not that far from the truth. Jesus is God with skin on. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Literally, it's he tabernacled amongst us. It's a funny word, tabernacle, isn't it? Uh, the tabernacle was was the tent, there's a picture of it here, that, that God had instructed his people to make in the Old Testament. It was to be at the heart of their camp. It was the place where the priests went to make sacrifices and where they went to teach God's word. It was where God symbolically dwelt. He's described as coming down to the tabernacle. It was where God did business with his people. But, but now God doesn't hang out in a tent. No, the word becomes flesh. God the Son hangs out in a body. When the first man went into space, Yuri Gagarin, uh, the Russian, he pleased many atheists with his proclamation that he'd, he'd been up into space and he'd not found God there. Well, well if, if he'd read John's Gospel, he could save himself a lot of time and money and energy, as far as I can see. Because God has visited the world that Gagarin looked at from space. He's come down. That's, that's the outrageous claim of the New Testament. That's the outrageous claim of the Christian. But because in Jesus, verse 14 again, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what the, the Israelites saw at the tabernacle, the glory of God. It was, it was a cloud of fire. Uh, it was and terrifying. It, it, you didn't approach the tabernacle unless you were sure that, that God wanted you there. But, but John, as he picks up this, this idea of the glory of the Lord, is, is actually picking up what God told Moses in the Old Testament about his character. The Lord said this when he proclaimed his name to, to Moses. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Full of love and faithfulness. Well, love, grace. 
God's undeserved love towards his people. Faithfulness, truth. The God who is always true, who always does what he says, who never changes, who keeps every promise. Oh, God's always been abounding in love and faithfulness, but now we've seen Jesus and we know that he is full of grace and truth. Unchanging love for all time. Father uh, Damien was a, a Roman Catholic priest who in 1873 uh, went to Hawaii to work amongst a, a leper colony. Now, without any real help, he gave 600 lepers, bandaged their wounds, he built houses, he dug their graves when they died. He, he looked after them year after year. But in his letters at home, that those who knew him, they, they noticed a change that occurred. It was a, a chilling change. From speaking about these lepers, he now wrote about we lepers. Father Damien himself had, had contracted leprosy, and he carried on with his work caring for others until he was too helpless, and he died of the disease. You see, when... When God speaks, he doesn't say, those humans. He, he doesn't even come amongst us and say, these humans. He says, we humans. Because he's taken on flesh. He has become one of us. And that means he, he knows exactly how it feels to walk through life struggling with tiredness to have difficult relationships where your friends let you down and desert you, to stand at the, the graveside of a, of a friend who you love who's died, to suffer physical pain, to experience terrible injustice. Oh, we humans, says the Son of God, have experienced that. And the thing is, that to, to go into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, there had to be animal sacrifice. You, you couldn't go into the heart of that tent if you were just a, a normal person. In fact, only the high priest of God's people could go in. And that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement, right into the middle where God's presence was said to be. But, but now God in the person of his son, he has come down and he has hung out with those who are sinful with prostitutes and tax collectors, with those who rejected and hated him, with people like me. More than that, he has touched the unclean. He became one of us. Why? What's well, the last thing that we're going to see this morning? See, God has come, witnessed by people, living with us to make us his children. Look, look at verse 10. Isn't this a tragedy in verse 10? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You see, the, the very creation that he, he brought into being and sustains through his love doesn't, doesn't know God when he comes amongst them. They don't see the, the beauty of the character of the creator, even when he demonstrates it with authority. If, if you're not yet a Christian today, it's not because there's a lack of evidence. It's not because God has actually made it hard for you to know him. 
it's because you don't want him around. Look at how that's put in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. God's own people, chosen people, the the Jews, the, the very people the Old Testament was written to, the nation that Jesus was born into, they didn't accept him. I don't know if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings. Uh, In it, the kingdom of men is ruled by a steward. And the job of the steward is to to rule the men until the promised king of Gondor comes. The promises are that he will bring victory over the enemies, that he will rule over them, he will unite them into a a great people again. The problem is when, when the promised king comes, the steward doesn't really want to get off the throne. He prefers hanging on to power for himself. And that was the problem with Jesus. That the Jews had been waiting for God's promised king for a thousand years. Kings had come and gone, and most of them had been a pretty rum lot. But but when the promised king comes, when the, the perfect son of God arrives, well, the Jewish religious authorities, they don't fancy handing power over to him. They, they want to stay in control of their lives. And that's the tragedy for most of us. We can know God, but we don't want him to rule us. It's a tragedy because of the reason Jesus came in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's the privilege for all who believe in Jesus. You see, people who who are not Christians are creatures of their creator. Not everyone's a child of God. Only those who come to Jesus are God's children. And there's a, there's a massive difference, isn't there, between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Between having facts about someone and, and being a, a member of their, their family and relationship with them. So, so you and I, for instance, we could do a, a fantastic project on the Queen. I mean, I googled Queen, the Queen, this morning. There are over three billion hits on Google. There is a lot of information out there on the Queen. We could study everything we really wanted to know about the Queen. But we wouldn't know her, would we? We wouldn't have a relationship with her. If we turned up to the gates of Buckingham Palace and said, I know the Queen, then no, you don't. You can't come in. Look at the size of my project. I really do know the Queen. No, no. It's a massive difference about knowing about someone and knowing her. Uh, but what Jesus came to do is to give people the right to become the children of God. That, that word right has an idea of power and authority. When you come to Jesus, you are given the kingly power and authority to be a child of God. It, it's not something that can be taken from you. It's not something that you can lose. It's not something that depends on the strength of your belief. No, it's a right given you by God. It's certain. In fact, John makes that clear in verse 13. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husbands of will, but but born of God. You see, it's because God brings you into his family. It's not about who you're related to. That would have been a shock for the Jews. They, They thought that because they were descended from a guy called Abraham, that made them children of God. No, says John. It's not about what family you're born into. Maybe you're here today and you've been born into a Christian family. That's a huge privilege and you've heard about Jesus all of your life. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Only believing in him as God 
works in you. That's what makes you a child of God. It's not actually even about the amount of effort you put in, your human decision, your will that makes you a child of God. No, it's God's work in our lives. Isn't that extraordinary? That, that out of love, God makes the world through his Son, the Word, and we reject him, and we ignore him, and then when he comes, we live our lives mostly as though he doesn't exist. We don't even think about him. And what does he do? He comes to, to be one of us so that we can become his children and enjoy a certain unshakable relationship, a relationship he gives us the right, the power, the authority to enjoy. And that's what John's Gospel is about. It's about the incredible security of being in God's family simply because he has worked in your life out of his glorious grace and truth, his unending love and faithfulness. That's why, as we read John's Gospel, our hearts should be moved in, in wonder and love at, at the God who's done this for us. There is no better relationship to enjoy. In fact, this relationship with this loving God is the only thing that will make sense of your life in this world because he is the light of life. If you want to know the God who created you this morning, if you don't know him, if you want to know the God who's keeping you breathing even now, well then, look at the man Jesus. Pick up a copy of John's Gospel. Come back week by week and see this extraordinary word who took on flesh. And if you're here this morning and you've been his child, maybe for years, have you been gazing upon Christ over the summer? Have you opened up his word and has Jesus got bigger and bigger and more awesome to you as you've seen the enormity of the one who came to die that you might be called a child of God out of his love for you? Will you, will you spend between now and Christmas looking at John 1 to 11? Will you day by day maybe just to read a few verses for yourself? Would you ask God in your prayers that, that Jesus might become ever more precious to you? Would you see that the, the, the God who made all things has stepped into his own creation? Why? Because he's full of grace and truth. That is his glory. That is who he is. That is what he wants you to know. That is his precious gift to his children. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we admit that we will never exhaust studying the enormity, the power, the authority, the beauty, the love, the faithfulness, the compassion, the kindness, even the very mystery of the man Jesus Christ who was your precious son incarnate. Please our Father, help us to treasure him. 
Help us not just to know more about him, but to know him more. Please, by the power of your spirit, will we behold your glory more and more? Would we be amazed at your abounding love and faithfulness? Would we see how Jesus is full of grace and truth? Please, our Father, grow our view of Jesus as we look at your word together. For his name's sake. Amen.